I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. I'm Kevin. It's time for episode number 364 of Video Games Hot Dog. The one without Kevin. It's sad. He got lost in the wilderness. It's true. He's uh, on his way to Hobart uh, to see some hob art. I'm going to say that hob is Australian for cool uh, because he's going to the Museum of Old and New Art. I feel like hob is definitely a, a... a morpheme with some meaning because of hobgoblin. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's just a cool goblin. Okay. That makes sense. So, like, Hobart what? is taller art, right? Yeah. yeah. Hobgoblin are hobgoblins, like, goblin. smarter? Are, are hobgoblins smarter than regular goblins? I don't remember. Maybe. Yeah. Probably. I've, I've, I think I've, they're I feel like they're, like, the in-between step between goblins and orcs. Hmm. What's a knoll then? Uh, that's like are knolls a dog, like dogmen. Yeah, that's a dogman. That's that's a Isn't that's a, a bigger kobolds are. Yeah, that's a bigger a kobold, bigger kobold before kobolds. So were, like a hob kobold. Yeah, yeah, actually, before kobolds were. I thought uh, a, a knoll into was like tiny dragon men, which is dumb. <laughs> I thought a knoll was like a, a an end run around trademark law where they couldn't have hobbits because that's something that that's Tolkien, half that's halfling. Okay, yeah. all right. Your love of the halfling's weed has has clouded your mind. <laughs> and then after orcs, it's called there auto are brewery syndrome. Bears. And then okay, I think ogre comes after that. And then after Where, that, you start getting owl into bears like giants. Fit in. No, they just have owl heads. I think oh, they're just yeah. goblins with owl heads. Bears with owl heads. Owlblins. Owlblins. Bokoblins. Moblins. So oh, yeah, I've seen that, that spells Moblins. Yeah, Moblins. Yeah. Which is weird. Moblins are like uh, lady goblins who hang, who accompany gangsters. Right. That oh, makes sense. Sure. Yeah. They're um, related to mall rats. They're related been, to Riff? Richard Mall rats. <laughs> Richard Mall. Richard Mall rat. Very good. What have you been up to, Riff? It's been an entire week. Uh, you well, have to have encountered at least one story. I did. I did actually. I made. I started making some notes of things I could possibly talk about. Um, nice. I. Uh, 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 you know, you can just like you could talk about things you read on the internet. Oh, I thought. I thought this. I thought you saying you started making notes was your story. There's more. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. That was it. I wrote down a note that said I made a note. <laughs> <laughs> and it was true. <laughs> no, um, so uh, I I did another um, thing, kind of like an escape room in a box, except this one isn't exactly like that. Um, the the people that do uh, what's it, Mysterious Package Company? I guess I no point in saying the people that do Mysterious Package Company when I could just say the Mysterious Package Company. Um, put out a new thing. It's nice of you to give them credit. Yeah. <laughs> called um, Postmortem, uh, which uh, they they were kind of light on the details of what it was going to be when the pre-order came in. But, you know, those guys generally put out pretty good stuff. So I, so I uh, bought it anyway. Um, but it turns out what it is, is a... Uh, entirely self-contained thing uh, I guess I don't I don't remember how much we've talked about mysterious package company but for 
listeners that don't know what that is, um, it's a service where they do like elaborate stories, usually, usually like mystery or, or, uh, horror or, or otherwise spooky themed, uh, stories that come to your mailbox in a series of like weird letters, um, that often have like little inclusions and, you know, this sort of thing, uh, like, uh, uh, like fake newspaper clippings and photographs and stuff like that. And you get like two or three, uh, mailings like that, depending on the story. And then it, it, uh, f- finishes with like the big, uh, uh, climax, I guess, of it is you get like a, a wooden crate, uh, with some kind of artifact in it that's, that's related to the story, like the, the mysterious Cthulhu idol that the letters are talking about or whatever. Uh, but this postmortem thing is, it's a single box. Um, and it's basically like, um, the old, um, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective game, uh, where you get, uh, a, uh, uh this, it, it's, uh, set in, uh, London and, or not London. It's set in Los Angeles, which is similar to London, uh, in terms of the first two letters. Um, uh, set in Los Angeles in like the 1940s, so it's like a noir detective story. Uh, but you get like a map of of LA and a uh, newspaper for the day of the mystery and a, a, a sort of a mock telephone directory of all the different uh, suspects that you might want to talk to and so on. And and the map and the directory all have. Um, uh, three-digit numbers that you look up in this book that also comes with it that's uh, sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure type thing. Uh, but the, the idea is is that, you know, you you go to a place to interview a suspect and maybe that gives you some clues that gives you an idea of a map reference that you should check out or a, a person that you should look up in the directory and that would be the next person that you go talk to, so you look up that number in the book and so on. And until you've solved the mystery, and then once you think you've solved it, there's a, a like an envelope that you unseal to see if you got it right. And uh, it was pretty good. Um, it was fairly long. It it probably took me like four or five hours to finish the the whole thing, which is super long compared to a single uh, case of the original Sherlock Holmes style game. Uh, but it was pretty good. Um, it it also had so, oh yeah. How how do they handle like red herrings and and things that presumably like there's a whole phone book, but only like fifteen of the things mean anything in it, right? So what yeah. happens if you if what if do they do for like things? Are they just all zero 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 except for the important ones? No, uh, all the all the unimportant. They it appears to have like. Well, it probably doesn't have a thousand entries, but, but all the numbers look like real numbers. It's just the book doesn't have all the numbers in it. The, the book of, of, I see. uh, clue entries, you know. Uh, so if you, if you go looking for a number that's not in there, then you know that that person isn't relevant. Um, and also because, uh, Mysterious Package Company does a lot of like, you know, cause they do all these letters and props and stuff, uh, in addition to, uh, the other stuff I mentioned, it also comes with like six sealed envelopes that are le- labeled, uh, evidence A through F. And so when you, when you eventually find the 
the entry that says you can open evidence C now, then you get the, the, the letter or, or whatever the, the physical piece of evidence that the character finds in that. So it's pretty cool. Uh, the, the only, if I were building that thing, I would put in an evidence envelope that was never referred to in the text yeah, and that uh, yeah. was full of, of scorpions, <laughs> just, just live bees. venomous yeah. scorpions. So yeah. So just if, bees if they, if that shout it. cheater at you. <laughs> the only bummer I had with it is that I, uh, I super disagree with the, uh, the conclusion. Like when, when I opened the envelope, I got two of the answers wrong and one of those answers like could not possibly have been right based on the clues and the other one that i i just sort of generally object to because it was an uh, an an uh, thoroughly untelegraphed twist in my opinion so the the actual so their solution to the mystery i disagree with and that was a bummer but uh, other than that it was fun and uh, you know it's reasonably well written. It it wasn't any Raymond Chandler or Dashiell Hammett, but it got the job done. And the protection so production are there values were pretty good. Are there few enough clients to this that this company has that you could like write them a letter about how you feel about the mystery, and it would change maybe their maybe their it actually practices? said the the at the end of the envelope it gives you a web address for a uh, a survey you can fill out to. Uh, to, to tell them what you thought. And I guess that's what they're basing their decision of whether to make more of these or not. And so I basically said to them, Hey, this is really good. Uh, you could use the map a little more. You, the, the, the map reference stuff didn't play in very much. And also this was completely wrong. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> good job. Otherwise, did they give though, you like guys? a scale from kind of bullshit to total bullshit and then like on this scale? How bullshit was our conclusion? No, but luckily they did, uh, they did leave a, a space for, do you have any other comments into which I could type whatever I wanted? <laughs> Tara Manu and Riff. Heck yeah. So you don't, don't, you, you step to the homes, you best not miss. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. <laughs> huh, good. Tell him you should let me write it, because, for instance, that thing I just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the very uh, least, you should let me test your next one, <laughs> because none of the guys you had tested noticed this. <laughs> Ask me to come play your game. I'll test it. <laughs> R.I.P. Keith, whatever. I guess just every time I make a prodigy joke, I have to remember that guy's name. Yeah. Uh, that makes me sad. Keith. They're one of my favorite bands. Dirge. Dirge. Keith in the ground. Oh, uh, yeah. Like Dave by the boat. <laughs> Everybody eventually becomes Keith in the ground. <laughs> do, you, do you have to change your name? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, it happens have, for you. Save like, money you, on tombstones. They all have Keith painted on them yeah. to paint it on them like tombstones. <laughs> They're saving a lot of money. Um, did you? Uh, did either of you guys watch? Uh, well, Jim, I asked you at dinner, so I know you didn't. Riff, did you check out that uh, that crazy cube movie that was linked in the video game? Oh, Dog Slack? I've, I've still got that up in a tab, but I haven't watched it yet. I uh, I was not expecting when I went and just tabbed through my open Slack uh, new message thing 
uh, to just sit and watch an hour of television from the yeah. 60s, but I sure did. Uh, apparently in 1967, and it ran for four years, NBC did a thing called the NBC Experiment in Television, which was a, mm. I guess it was an effort to compete with the Twilight Zone. It ran opposite the Twilight Zone. For four and years? The wow. only the only episode that is listed anywhere, like, there's almost nothing about this. I feel like it's from... <sighs> There seem to be like weird dead periods in what you can find on the internet that I, I maybe it's just anything prior to 1978 or something, right? Because anything prior to like VCRs, nerds who cared about exhaustively documenting things on the early internet, like exhaustively documented the stuff that they still had from when they were kids yeah. or cared about when they were kids. But, but I mean, also, like, there's, there's a lot home of stuff recording about the, the is not prisoner on the internet. Home so. recording probably didn't exist really in the '60s. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so there are no the the only episode that I can find like that's confirmed is this thing called the Cube, which Jim Henson directed and co-wrote in in '69. Um, I don't know. I didn't really look him up to see where his career was at then. I don't know what he was sort of up to. Um, whether he was like a well-known person or pre or post Muppets, basically. I think it was pre Muppets, but I don't know what he was doing before that. I I remember reading about his career and like he did a bunch of weird, not really kid stuff before that, which makes sense. Anyway, this is like an hour long movie essentially about a guy who's trapped in a cube and different chunks of the cube open up like doors and windows and different people come in and it's kind of like he's maybe being imprisoned and experimented on and he goes nuts and you know, there's a lot of hallucinations and a lot of special effects and and it's a, it's a very like modern seeming thing just idea wise. It's like, it looks qualitatively like a thing from the 60s and so i don't expect it to be interesting but then i think oh you know like the the like out there avant-garde avant-garde art shit avant-garde uh avant-garde jim henson (laughs) the out there art shit from 10 years before a period that you know becomes kind of like the mainstream stuff of the period that you know eventually, right? Like stuff just changes like that. And so not all of it, but it stands to reason that like 10 years before something of a certain kind of sensibility became a mainstream thing, you probably could find stuff with that sensibility in weirder venues. Um, This was really cool though. Thank you to, I don't remember who in the video games hot dog slack you know if you back our patreon you too can hang out in the video games hot dog slack and find out about these cool movies before anyone else including riff or jim from your description it sounds kind of like a cross between the movie cube and that weird japanese movie i talked about a few weeks ago yeah it reminded me of that thing there's like there's a button that he can push and he's like when how long has that button been there and the guy's like oh it's always been there (laughs) But it hadn't always been there. Or it had. I don't know. I wasn't on the set. It's good, though. It reminded me of... It It felt... It kind of had, like, the uh, uh, the prisonery vibe to it. Everyone had British accents. Cool. Yeah, that's what it makes It seemed like a British like thing, them. but it was... <laughs> yeah, that's all it takes, is for it to be from... Like, you know, uh, like that um, Mike Myers thing that was the prisoner <laughs> uh, that came out in... 
Um, what have you been up to, Jim? I want to talk about a thing I read about on the internet. What was it? Uh, do you guys know about Swatch Internet Time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember coming across it at some point, but I don't remember. <laughs> so much. apparently, this was in the late 90s. Uh, the company Swatch was trying to solve time zones, and they created a standard of time, which w- became like the secondary readout on a lot of their watches, which was based on decimal time. So you divide the day up into a thousand beats, uh, which is each of which is like a little less, less than a minute and a half. And, uh, it's standardized to local time in, I think, Sweden or wherever Swatch is based. Um, and so your, your Swatch time is the same globally, no matter what time zone you're in. Uh, and you can just organize events on the internet and tell people what time something is without worrying about what time zone you're in or what time zone they're in. It'll be happening at 630 beats. And and, and you spell beats with a period in front of the word yeah. beats. Yep. Huh. The bit I like is that there's, I, there's no official smaller unit than a beat. So yeah, no. There's so you like, can't you can't time anything that's less than a minute and a half. Right, right. Well, there are there are like uh, unofficial extensions, like the centibeat. Yeah, but good luck. Um, good like luck getting that on guys from Hellraiser. Like that, yeah. Uh, it didn't catch on because it's incredibly stupid. <laughs> Just. <laughs> The idea of saying what time something is and you not knowing whether it's daytime or nighttime because you're not sure where the person saying it is. Well, it doesn't matter because it all that matters yeah, it's is out of a thousand, what time like noon it's relative to you. 500 or like whatever. It, well, but no, right? That's only noon in Geneva. But who are you responding to there? Riffs. Right, like, but it doesn't... You, like, well, okay. If you mean like... it. it not knowing what what the time is like relative to what time like day or night it is to the other person i suppose yeah i mean or yourself like you move to a new city and suddenly dinner time changes even if you're technically eating at like oh, the yeah. same yeah well know, i mean that's it, it, that's same as time zones everywhere though right you, no no we, time zones are time zones are what makes it so it's not like that well, this is this is a ostensibly for organizing things on the internet where you're you're trying to do uh, events across time zones, right? So you just do what everyone on the internet was already doing in the '90s, which was just use the Unix epic, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just meet me at this like you know twelve digit integer, right? That's yeah, the number of seconds since January first, nineteen seventy. And so I got a, I got a bug up my ass about like I, I wanted to like facetiously use this in some way in my life because I just want to be the kind of person who uses Swatch Internet Time for something. Yeah, and so I was looking up like, well, how much would one of these watches on be on eBay? And they're like, yeah. what's that? Uh, oh yeah, they were like fifty exactly bucks. It's not <laughs> right. It was not like worth fifty dollars to me to have this. Plus, the watch looks like it looks like it's from the nineties. Which, admittedly, I already kind of look like her from the 90s, so it would, 
it would fit in <laughs> right uh but it it's it's harder to it's harder to fit in with a more modern uh, sensibility uh and so what i did instead was i sent a change of plan updates to everybody i'm meeting a GDC saying, okay, new plan. Instead of meeting at 4 PM, <laughs> we're now meeting at this. At, and every single time I did this, I fucked up the conversion in one way or another. <laughs> like I got, I, I went to this website that, uh, asks you like what day and what year and what time zone you're converting from, because all these things factor into like, is it daylight savings time? Uh, and like the, the, the converter only let you select up to 2008. <laughs> Cause okay. Didn't so, expect uh, anybody that far in the future would give are, a shit. Are you afraid that you're going to be 11 years late for all of your GDC <laughs> meetings now as a result of that? Well, it just meant that like, like pretty much every time I just forgot to fill out one of these fields. Mm -hmm. And so. And so I had to like send an apology follow up saying, I'm no, oh, I'm sorry. I sent you to the wrong space time coordinate to every one of these people. So that's my life. Hmm. Well, luckily the kind of person who's going to do something like that, probably those meetings weren't particularly important. <laughs> that's, that's a fair so, point. Uh, I'm just kidding. You might've had important meetings. I mean, every meeting is important because you're important. Oh, what time is our uh, what time is our GDC pre-party in Swatch Internet time? I, I have no idea. If you want, I'll include it in the oh, that would be finalize it. But you have to tell me how to figure out what. Yeah, I'll send you Swatch a link Internet to the web page, okay. and then you can send them. Uh, you can up if you want to reschedule the event for two thousand eight. Does the year then, matter? Uh, it does because. Uh, Although I don't know how sophisticated this converter is, but I believe it actually does because daylight savings rules have changed. I Since see. Since 2008? Uh, I think, no, I think during the span of time you could select from, I think they changed in like 2004 oh, or something like that. Yeah. Seems like there is some traction for getting rid of it now. That would be, I, I would like that, but then it also means that like, Everything that automatically switches over is going to break. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a bummer. Yeah, it would just be like another Y2K crisis, but even less even, actually significant. Even dumber. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, if we make a big enough stink about it, then people might actually fix it in advance, which is what happened with Y2K. Yeah, that's true. I really wonder, I wonder what would have happened if like all of the, were you in, were you in IT around then? No. Yeah. I wonder what would have happened if none of us had done anything. Like, we would have just had to have fixed the payroll system after January yeah. 1st instead of before it. I mean, it would have, like, probably it would just have been kind of a mess for a few weeks and then it would have been fixed. Yeah. Certainly no planes falling out of the sky. I don't know. I don't know what, what if planes care about what day it is. Yeah, I don't know either. I remember learning at that point that all of the like ATC software was all written in Fortran uh, in the 60s and it was so carefully done and working well enough that nobody wanted to touch it. What's ATC? Right. Cuz the stakes were really high. Uh air traffic control. Ah. Yeah, so I forgot. Do you mean that because I was the planes were really high at the time. 
Yes. <laughs> or do you mean that because the pilots were really high? <laughs> Both, yeah. That was before there was mandatory drug testing. Um, For planes? <laughs> yep. Can't really make jokes about plane crashes this week. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. What else can't we make jokes about? Uh, there was an article today uh, that popped up in my Google News feed that said, Luke Perry death certificate issued, comma, buried in Tennessee. And I was going to tweet, why did they bury his death certificate? <laughs> well, but then I thought, nah, that would be in poor taste. Also not particularly funny. <laughs> Uh, there was a moose that slept, that took a nap in front of a library. Yeah, saw that. It's uh, probably too soon to make jokes about that. Yeah. I, I, that cat at the library got his job back. Yeah. Oh. Outlasted the the, the city uh, councilman. Is that because the gone councilman whatever. died or was uh, diselected? I did not actually read the article, but I assumed diselected. Really? You assume that word I just made up? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Guys, it's been so long since we did the news segment. I know. Um, that's all I remember about the news. Mm. Facebook's been down all day. Yeah, really? weird. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, if you go to Facebook.com, it's they, just like, sorry. They moved too fast. Did they? <laughs> Broke right, too many move things. fast and breaks things. Yeah, that's, yep. I only found out about that true. because the guys that did the... Uh, that the maze of games book we're going to do a new kickstarter today but then decided they shouldn't because they couldn't announce it on facebook that's, do you know what that's about is it just they're kickstarting the maze of games again i i have no idea i don't know if they're doing like a sequel or what i also saw recently that um the first one was solved. I had no idea that it had not been solved. Yeah, no, me neither. The, I, 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 I'm still like a chapter and a half from the end, so I never found out about the final puzzle or whatever. I only did the first quarter of it because the second, like, actual literal maze I got to, I was like, I don't want to solve a maze. <laughs> and I put the book down, and then that was years ago. Which is a bummer because I was having fun with the puzzles. Yeah, they're good puzzles. You could probably such just a dick about like, puzzles. Did did Kevin also have a copy? Because you could probably just get him uh, to show know. you his maze and and move on to the fun bit. That's true. Show me your maze so I can move on to the fun bit. I'll say to Kevin for the hundredth time. <laughs> hmm. I wish Kevin was here to show me his maze. <laughs> I feel like there's a. An AR program that you could write that you, where you could like hover a maze in front of a phone and then it would paint the solution to the maze. Oh, yeah. yeah. That wouldn't work for these mazes because they were all real tricky, puzzly type mazes. Yeah. Oh. But, but yeah, that would be tedious. cool for like a regular maze, though. I always end up doing the Had thing a, where you just like brute force a maze by by sh coloring in all of the dead ends until they get to intersections and then 
continuing to color oh, I didn't more, know about more that. dead ends until you've colored in the entire that sounds maze, like a fun thing to do once to prove that it works it's it's yeah, yeah it, and that's what it totally you could works. do that on the it first maze forever. in maze of games and it was fine yeah but then the second one didn't really work that way like yeah it turns out you needed information that you'd blocked out and i was like ah, god damn it <laughs> just don't want to do this um we did puzzle pint last night uh it was good. It was a nice, easy set that was uh, dark crystal themed. Ooh. And uh, I realized to my dismay that uh, almost no one at Puzzled Pint was old enough to know what the dark crystal was. Oh, no. You should have saved that one until the remake or whatever they're doing came out. Oh, are they doing a remake? I think so, yeah. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, probably about how I feel about them doing a TV series of Time Bandits. Are, is that a thing also? Yeah, apparently. Huh. Well, who knows? Sometimes things are good. Maybe this new Dune will be good. Maybe. The only good Dune would have Matthew Lillard as Paul Muad'Dib Atreides. Oh, that'd be amazing. We Well, we'd kind of have to Matthew go back Lillard, in time. Matthew the mouse on the he moon. He could be Gurney Halleck or well, somebody. Uh, he could just be... They could just make him up. <laughs> Just invent a Matthew Lillard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if if the universe doesn't, uh, if what's no, we'd be what's forced the, to create one. <laughs> yeah. yeah what's what's the actual what's the actual quote? It's like if, if, if God, God did not exist, exist, man yeah. would be forced to invent him or something okay, like that. Yeah. All right. That, but Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Right. In order to in order to create a Matthew Lillard from scratch, one must first create the universe. Um, no, I'm saying like you just have Matthew Lillard, but in like young face. Okay. Or I mean, you know, how old was Kyle MacLachlan? When they made the David Lynch Dune, I mean, probably like twenty, and Matthew Lillard's yeah. like fifty. Yeah. So I don't know where I'm going with this, but ah oh man, imagine how dominate he would feel once he had the blue within blue eyes that came with such such uh, suffusing with the spice. <laughs> he would feel so dominate, <laughs> and and Shaquille O'Neal could be Duncan Idaho. <laughs> And they could just use the same uh, film effects for the the big like spice drunk scene as they used for the acid trip scene in SLC Punk. Right. Um, I'm killing time because I haven't played that many video games. Yeah, I haven't either, frankly. I spent a bunch of I I, I finished Ghost Wizard, my seven day roguelike game. It turned out okay, I is, think. Is that out in the world? It is. Yeah, I'll link to it. It's on itch.io. Cool. And uh hey, I don't know about you guys, but I made $31 from selling an independent video game. That's pretty week. good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Four people paid $7 each for the game, including Tom Francis, who I think would hate this game. I, it's not his kind of thing at all. Uh, Wait, so is, it, is this like a pay $7 or nothing? Yeah. Kind of? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's your money or your life. Uh, and then one person gave me $3 for it. So okay. It's like, um, this isn't worth quite nothing, but it is worth a little less than half of what you suggested. I just put seven because it was a seven day roguelike. And I kind of figure like, I should get paid a dollar a day for this. It, it's, it's weird to have to decide how much something is worth before you play it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. They should have an like, option on I've, that page to. Like if you pay nothing, send me a reminder it gives you in an a option week. to go back and pay them something later. Well, you can just download it again and pay them. Yeah, you do have that option. I believe. Oh, but like, okay. I, there should be some I, I sort of official facility for it. Like, you already had it. Mm. Mm. Um, I played a bunch of the other uh, Seven Day Roguelike entries, and I wrote a Twitter thread where I kind of linked to some of the more interesting ones. But I um. I kind of didn't, I, I guess I understood this intellectually, but I didn't really understood what it meant uh, that when I did that, I was only looking at like the first third of the submissions because it wasn't quite the end of the day oh. on the last day. I sort of assumed, because like they run it from Saturday to Sunday and it's just like, whenever you start this, just end it seven days later. Oh. But the, now see, because they do it this across could all have been solved if they had been using swatch internet time. Yeah, that's true. Just, uh, cause right. The, as it stands, it starts at the beginning of Saturday in the earliest possible time zone and ends at the end of Saturday in the latest possible time zone. So it's like 10 days long. Oh, weird. Uh, but you just pick seven days out of that. Um, but I mean, you know, it's international. What are you going to do? Use Swatch Internet Time, which is exactly for this sort of thing. Uh, I played some cool games. There were some, there were a lot of games, and this is typical of the seven day roguelike challenge. Um, there are a lot of games that are just very kind of normal ass roguelikes with maybe one or two little gimmicky things going on in them. And then there are things that are like just totally novel kinds of games. Um, one real standout was this game called Pawnbarian, which you are represented by a, a little icon on a five by five chessboard and you have enemies on the chessboard and there are X's on the squares around them where they're going to attack. And you have a deck of cards and on the cards are chess pieces and you draw four of them and then you get to make two chess moves oh, on the space okay. basically. And you are, you're trying to like, avoid getting hit and to attack the enemies, uh, capture them. There are certain enemies that when you capture them, they like explode and damage every square around them. And so those end up just requiring you to basically just waste a bunch of time until you get the right chess moves to get in and then get to safety. Hmm. Um, it's, it's cool. It, the only problems with it were from them not having had time to, thoroughly play test and balance it i think like it's very like it works really well it's very polished it looks really good um and it's a it's a clever gimmick after you beat each level you get to either add a new chess piece to your uh to your deck or add a hit point hmm. um yeah it was cool uh i also i saw on twitter uh robert yang talking about some kind of, and I should have gone back and read this for real, some kind of like scholarship that they do 
It's the NYU Game Center Incubator. Do you know what this is, Jim, mm. or anything about it? No. There was a list of games that came out of it, and I recognized some of them. Yeah, I feel like, wasn't Ape Out one of them? Yes, Ape Out was one of them. That's the only thing I know about this. Okay, so then it uh, also, he was listing, he had a list of things that had come out of it, and one of them was a game called The Norwood Suite, which I had never heard of. Or maybe I had seen the name, but never connected it with anything. And I went and I bought it, and it is extremely good uh it's it's like one of those it's a lot like a, just a unity asset flip kind of thing it it looks like the the kind of weird world things that kitty horror show makes uh just in the sense of like it being fairly like we're just going to build a level out of like quads with textures on them. And like, maybe things are at the right scale and maybe they're not. And like they're, we're just using the default unity first person shooter controls. Um, but there is a bunch of actual gameplay. Like there's, there's a lot of NPCs that you talk to. You don't really make any choices that you're just kind of advancing through loops on them that respond to game state changes, but you're not really, you can give them, you have an inventory of items that you can use on other things in the environment. And like, basically there's a bunch of people you're trying to get to the basement of this hotel where there's like a DJ playing. And in order to do that, you have to have a costume and the costume is all of these accoutrements that Peter Norwood, who was like a famous drummer who used to, or a famous musician who used to live in this hotel war. And in order to get those, you have to do a bunch of like really random errands for a bunch of the other people who are standing around. And it's got a real like, uh, kind of a blendo games vibe in the sense of they're just, it, everything is very strange. And like, there's a lot of like branded items that with like funny brand names and slogans and stuff on them. It's not as goofy as a jazz punk, but it's also kind of along those lines. It, it it's maybe a couple of hours long, very light puzzle solving and exploration, but I really, really enjoyed it. And hmm. I am, it, it sounds good. It worries me that Somehow this had been out for a year and I had just missed it. What's it oh, called? I feel again? like that's just the nature of making video games now. The Norwood Suite. Yeah, no, I know, I know, but it's like I feel like I should. Yeah. So my be more on top of it. This is the. I don't think this is your fault. I think this is like the the infrastructure we have being needing more personal curation and not knowing how to provide it because. There are so many amazing video games out there that even if, you know, they can't all be hits, but they could all reach the person that they're perfect for. Yeah. And right now, the the current, like, infrastructure we have is a lot more concerned with making hits than doing the latter. But I feel like we, this show... If you were to put a gun to my head and say, what's the purpose of this show, it would be to 
reach an audience that likes the same kind of weird shit that we do, regardless of like which one of us that is, yeah. you know, for a given person or whatever, and then know about that weird shit to tell them about it. And it's and that's for them to tell us about the weird shit. Yeah. And that's, the, yeah, right, that's also true. Right. Yeah. But that's why, like, I feel like if anything, because we are not an outlet that is concerned with making money, we are not an outlet that is concerned with status or any of the other things that like would get in the way of the world being the way we want the world to be. Yeah. Like we are just kind of doing that. So I think one of the things that we are naturally doing as people who grew up in the, the, the marketing environment created by video games is following the zeitgeist which I think is the way that is not the way to, to best do that. You know, um, the, the assignment we did this week and the assignments we're doing the next two weeks are all like games that were just released. Um, and I'm happy to be doing them. I'm not saying we should change our minds, but like if we want to really be getting out there and doing like the real intense curation work that you're talking about, um, we need to be, I don't know, look, looking past the surface, looking past what the, the, the zeitgeist puts in front of us. Right. And I mean, I think we go in and out of doing that to a better or worse extent, right? Like yeah. we, sometimes one of us will bring something weird that we remembered from the past or whatever. Yeah. But I, I also feel like we could do 10 years worth of podcasts just on indie games that came out in 2014 and mm-hmm. never run out of interesting shit to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so that sucks. Hey, I've been talking to people about this. I was talking to Nick uh, Sutner the other day about how I would never. It, it is impossible for me to imagine regularly listening to a bunch of podcasts about board games mm. the way that I listen to a bunch of podcasts about video games. And. I don't know why that is. When I think about why I am not interested in that, it's like, oh, well, most board games I'm not interested in. There are there are lots and lots of board games, and most of them I am not interested in. That is absolutely true of video games. Yep. And I don't yeah, know. I, like, I, I definitely listened to like a tenth of the video game podca- podcast that I listened to five years ago. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, it just because... Or, and, and the ones that I do continue to listen to, I don't listen to because of the video game talk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I like, the Giant Bombcast and the Giant Beast cast are outliers time-wise in my video game podcast listening, and I barely ever care about any of the games that they're talking about. Yeah. It, like, listening to smart, funny people talk about the way that games that I don't care about make them feel is of at least some interest and some professional value, but it is mostly just like, I don't know. I want to listen to the banter between them because, you know, it's it's that like friendship porn style yeah. of <laughs> thing. Whereas like the Creighton Crowbar, I find extremely edifying. Mm. Like listening to Chris Thurston talk about a game that I don't care about makes me understand why other people care about it in a way that it's like, Oh, right. That's cause that guy's job is writing about video games. Although now that guy's job is writing video games, which is cool. 
but but yeah, I don't know. How do how do books? Right? There is no one no one is like I need to know about every book that comes out, right? Like it wouldn't even occur to you to think that yeah. because there are too many and there are as many video games as books coming out now. And yet outlets try to be kind of maximalist. Yeah. Well, so I believe the way books handle it is they have very codified subgenres uh, where this person doesn't write like this, this, this rather, this um, right. outlet doesn't cover. Right. We only books, cover YA cover, erotica. Right. For example. <laughs> Or and like lar- if you, large print uh, vision impaired erotica, and if and if you don't write something that fits into one of those categories, the industry doesn't know what to do with you. Oh yeah, that's why you self publish and you become the Martian, right? That's what happened to Andy Weir, right? He he self published that book and then became the Martian. I think he wrote it like as a series of blog posts at first. Yeah. Um. Oh, I also played a game that. Uh, a uh, friend of the show, Seth Rosen, made called Frankenstein's Monsters Monster as part of one of the Wizard Jams. Uh, Was that an episode ago. of a? Apparently, oh. yeah. Um, so it's a it's a game that is. Uh, he he showed it to me because we were talking about the proc gen level uh, generation stuff for my roguelike, and he. Uh, said the only time that he had done that was in this jam game. And it's a game where you are Frankenstein's monster creates his own monster, which is just like a real shitty Frankenstein. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a steam world dig, except you dig up body parts, which you then replace your own body parts with. Hmm. And they're all like spring leg and like big muscle arm. And they give you different powers for your, like a taxon, you control the limbs independently, um, not in a not in a bad way, <laughs> not not like a not, not in like, like a, a goat simulator. Oh, this is this is quap. Not like about. an octo dad, no. Right. But like you 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 know left and right on the control pad, just move. Uh, this that, is this is relevant to my interests. I'm uh, yeah. I'm going to go play it's, this. It, it's um you know it's on it's on itch. It's it's a jam game. It's like a proof of concept. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, and it's not like I don't think it really ends. Is, uh, I the goal is to collect body parts to use as fuel because Frankenstein's monster wants to go to the moon and he has a corpse rocket that Dr. Frankenstein had made that runs on limbs. Um, <laughs> man, I also, uh, I was home sick for a lot of the last few days and I thought, hey, I should finally try playing Horizon Zero Dawn because I have this PS4 and I have a nice new television and I have a bunch of time that I can't do anything productive with because my brain doesn't work because of all the snot and pus in it. Um, filling up, filling up the, the wrinkles. Like, yeah, yeah. The, it's, it, the old, all the work happens inside those crevices. Yeah, well, you, the jiggling of your brain causes the wrinkles to rub together and create static shocks. And that's what, like when you see like in a movie, like electricity bouncing around a brain, right. indicating somebody thinking about stuff. That's what right. that is. And yeah, when it's filled with snot, they don't like, it's it not a good conductor. Yeah. You can't arc through it. Um, and I played about a half an hour of horizon zero dawn and just had to give up in like, 
the camera in that game is so infuriating mm. to me that every second of playing it was just, I was, it was like trying to park a car where there is no parking. Mm. Like it was that is it, that is what it felt That's like a, a real interesting analogy. <laughs> I, the reason that I don't drive in the city is that like looking for parking in a crowded area is just my, I don't know. I've never like had my fingernails pulled out by enemy spies or whatever. Or you would have but compared like, the camera to that as, as I, of situations that I ever find myself in, my least favorite is trying to find parking. Like I just become, I almost never get angry anymore, but I'm just angry the entire time I'm trying to park a car. Yeah. I'm, it, I'm and with you. That on is that what one, this man. felt like. The, the, a, the camera is, it needs to be five times further away from the subject. So, like, and this was also a problem that I had with like the, um, that fucking Shadow of Mordor mm. game, right? It's like, oh, cool. There's just always this fucking guy taking up three quarters of the screen. Yeah. And I hate well, that's, it. That's a, that was why I think I that, like that sort of framing Batman. started with like Resident Evil 4, where it's like, it's like an over the shoulder shooter or whatever you call that. Yeah. Third yeah. person action game, right? I, yeah. But I got used to it in Arkham Asylum somehow. Like mm -hmm. I played all the way through Arkham Asylum on a PS3 and was fine. And that's why I thought I would be able to do this, but also something, and I, this is probably something that you could adjust in the settings, but the camera sensitivity was just like, I was constantly just wildly swinging the camera between staring at the sky and staring at the floor. And it was never like, I could never tell which direction I was facing. The camera doesn't follow your character at all. Ugh. Like it, it, do, it doesn't ever rotate based on your character's movement. So you're like, you have to control it yourself all the time. Hmm. And it's, Oh my God, it was. And also like, this is probably overstated. This is probably just what console games are like now. But the shit that you have to do to, like, shoot an arrow at a thing in that game is as if I was trying to write a parody of complicated console game controls. Mm. I think like that's, that's probably not just yeah. because of console games now. Because that, that particular game is super archery-focused, so they probably packed more detail than necessary into that system yeah it's just like hold it also to start to sprint you click the fucking thumbstick that you run with uh, which is like that's a fuck off that's that's common that's a call of duty thing i think how uh, jesus christ Wait, yeah. Is that seriously? You're supposed to do that while you're using it with, yep. with precision. Yeah, I don't like, and it that's either. just a thing anyone likes. Well, I don't. I, I don't like the thumbs clicking the thumbstick on any game. Yeah. So, like, I'm the wrong person to talk to about There's, that. But what was like, it I played recently that, that had the worst, most dumb version of that I'd ever seen? It was like, it was like the stick you were using to move, clicking it in, was for like picking things up. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I forget. I forget exactly what the control was and what game it was, but it was awful. It was insane. Mm. I'm really interested in the world of this game, and I think that I would have fun playing a game where you run around shooting robots with a bow and arrow and turning bits of them into well, upgraded bows and shit. But I just can't fucking deal with it. Just I, like I honestly like. Listen, Zach, you've got an engine you can make a game like that in 
right now in QBasic. <laughs> I, yeah, and I'll play the shit out of it. I guess that's true. If I just made Ghost Wizard 2, Ghost Wizard shoots robots with a bow and arrow. <laughs> and uses bits of them Just imagine, like, in, in cellular automata form, making, like, multi-celled... Oh man, like robot. an arm cell. Oh, yeah. Dinosaur yeah, so robots. You can cut just the leg off of a thing like in Dwarf Fortress. Um man, what I did learn, I started messing with this just a little bit. You can import a font into QB64 and I found an editor for a pixel font so I can do character mode stuff but with custom sprites. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Which, at that point, you might as well be doing graphics, I guess, except I already know how to do character mode stuff really quickly. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, at, at this point, like, maybe you should just start using, like, Pico 8. Yeah, Pico 8 seems very artificially constrained. I was interested in it, and then I started looking at it, and I was like, man, I don't actually know if I want to write... Because this feels less like... Pico 8 feels less like... A, using a language to make a game and more like using a Zachtronics game to make a different game. <laughs> it is very constrained. It is very like specifically constrained. Like the amount of code is constrained. Yeah. And I mean, that's interesting, but it's not, it's not the kind of challenge that I would like. I'm not good enough at making games that I want to like put leg weights on while I'm making games. You know, <laughs> there is definitely like a, I don't know how I feel about this in general. I, I, I talked about um, I talked about on Twitter a couple of months ago the the idea of like that it is considered to be a virtue for a game to be small design wise, like have a very small design space, but have that like result in interesting interactions, and for like a a player to be able to play a small design for a long time because yeah, um, but. And I feel like Pico 8 kind of comes out of that idea and enforces it to, to a certain extent, just because like you can't really make that much game in it. Um, and, but what I was contrasting that with, um, games as the idea that like the, the, the first part of a game is the most fun because learning is fun. Like learning how a game works is fun. And, if you want that to be the kind of fun your game provides, you have to provide a lot of design, a lot of design ideas, which is kind of like where I live as a designer. Like I, I, if I am trying to give the player, like reward the player with an interesting thing for solving a puzzle or for, for advancing, I very often what I build is a, a system to interact with. Or some sort of like bespoke, like uh, a bespoke game system, I guess. Um, and having worked a little bit in Pico 8, I found like that that just becomes impossible. And I, you, you look at like someone made, a, for example, a demake of Alone in the Dark in Pico 8 hmm. using. Uh, so like, there's a, there's a rendering engine out there. It's just like, here's a polygon rendering engine. It only takes up half your token space 
It's like it's <laughs> you can have eight thousand tokens in your Pico Eight program, and the the renderer only takes up half of half of that. Um, and so Alone in the Dark used that. I believe it used that engine and just made as much of the of that game as it could in the rest of the space. And whenever I see something like that, I kind of get depressed because, like, you, you, okay, that's a cool prototype, but it is literally impossible to take that prototype and turn it into something complete. Yeah, and it it doesn't have to be, right? Like they they just decided. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of you can do that's also the virtue of Pico Eight is that you. What's that? Yeah. Oh yeah, you can make a you can make a multi cart. Yeah, just switches, just have you know switches, yeah, that's a that's a real thing that people it, do. It says insert dot png two to to continue. Right. Well, that, but that's also one of the virtues of Pico Eight is that like if you are, I don't know, if you're the kind of person who obsesses about. I don't. I don't know what I'm. What I'm. I don't know how to finish that sentence. But like one of the virtues of Pico Eight is that you can spend a week on something and max out what that system can do and feel like you've made the biggest thing possible. Yeah. And so, like, there is definitely a um, a psychological virtue in in constraints of like you you're you're only competing against the things that the other things that can with, exist within these constraints. And I guess, like, one of the things you can do if you want to expand beyond Pico 8 is take that Lua code and run it in, like, Love 2D instead. You been playing anything besides the Pico 8 remake of Alone in the Dark? I didn't actually play it. I just watched a, I watched an animated heaf of it. Um, I played, uh, I played a game called Don't Trip, which is, a walking simulator in the sense of the game provides you like a, a top down view of a messy floor. So this is a cell phone game. You put one thumb on the left side of the screen and it places a shoe where you put your thumb and then you rotate your phone pivoting around your thumb and it moves that like that moves your viewport into the world. So you're now looking at, what would be behind the phone if you were looking through the phone at the messy floor. And then you can put your other thumb down and there's your foot, your, your shoe goes, the other foot goes there. And then you can let go of your first foot and pivot your phone again. And now you're looking at that, the, the view again of, of the floor. Um, and you, the goal is to walk as far as possible uh, without, tripping over something is it just an infinite expanse of garbage room in every direction that's the sense that I, well I, I only ever tried walking in one in the direction the tutorial had you walk in i didn't try walking like left or right that's a good idea um but i only i only ever tried walking up um and i found like there i i couldn't really figure out how what what the uh the challenge in this game is supposed to be because like it's not like you are it's not like there's a danger that you won't lift your foot high enough to tr not trip over that tire right <laughs> because you're just lifting your literally just moving your thumb off of the screen so like the 
times that I lost were times that like a Roomba ran into my shoe or something like that. And so like, I couldn't really figure out in the time I played this game, like, what is this game actually supposed to be? Like, what's the challenge of this game actually supposed to be? But it is a, a weird experience. So that's cool. Uh, and I played a game called Symphony, which I had downloaded this thinking it was probably like some free to play nonsense, but with, with horrible microtransactions, like I had talked about, um, a few months ago, or maybe probably more than that. I've talked about uh, playing like a, uh, the kind of free to play game targeted at women tend to be like, like, here's one called gardenscapes where you're, you're like, you're, you're revitalizing an old garden and it's all very like, uh, friendly pastel themes. And then the most brutal, abusive microtransactions you can imagine in, in the actual design space. So I was expecting it to be that except music themed. So symphony is a game. It turns out it's actually one of the girls make games games. Uh, girls make games is a, a nonprofit that, teaches young women to make video games. And so I think this is a game made by like early teens, probably. Um, and it starts out with a cutscene where the protagonist talks about how I loved my grandfather and he played the violin and then he died and it was very sad. And I was in his study and this is all written, written better than this, but this is me like, remembering the story uh i was in his study and all his sheet music flew out the window and so the game is about going and collecting the sheet music from around town it turns out to be a platformer uh where you are like walking through the park and you're jumping over you, you can bounce off of leaves and if you step on a thorn it resets your position to a couple of screens ago and you run into you occasionally like run into a, a a bird that's mad at you and you have to soothe it with your violin hmm. and the way this works is it's a little bit like someone saw a video of elite beat agents and didn't realize that it matched like what the player does matches the music uh so what you're doing is you're following uh, you're, you're tracing a line across the screen and in, in, in the pattern depicted on the screen. And you have to just follow the pace of the, uh, of the translucent circle that's going across the line. Hmm. But it's not matched up to the music there. Yeah, it's not, there's no relation as far as I could tell. Mm. Um, and sometimes you run into a person on their cell phone that's mad at you and you have to soothe them with your violin. Um, and when you, what? I can, I mean, <laughs> It makes sense that all these things would be mad because it's t 2019. Yeah. But why are they mad at you? Uh, because it's a video game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everything yeah. in it exists to either be mad at you or to give you a dollar. Or to, <laughs> like, make you sad that your grandfather died. Oh. Um, and then at the end of it, you have all the sheet music and you play a concert for the town and you get inspired to make people happy with your music. Oh, was but, the whole town mad at you before you got there? <laughs> I don't. So I'm actually really curious. Like if I had failed the, the moving the finger across the screen thing for the concert, would they have been, 
Like it probably, I would have just had to do it again. Mm. But it would have been better if they just had. You get the bad ending. <laughs> there was, a, yeah, there was a a cutscene where you get the bad end. Speaking of that, uh, I remembered something else that I played. Oh. Do you know the name of the new? Uh, what's the company that made Rock Band? Uh, Harmonics. Harmonics. Harmonics has is just released an early access VR game with just a. It's got like a nothing music word name. Maybe it's Audition. Fermata. So yeah, <laughs> Poco a Poco. Uh, <laughs> Glissando. It's called. Um, it. I. Maybe it's Audition. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound right. It, it's clef. basically. It's. <laughs> It's Space Pirate Trainer meets Beat Saber. What's okay. Space it's, tri- Pilot Trainer? That sounds good. Spa- Space Pirate Trainer is one of the early Vive games where the controllers are laser guns and there's just like you're standing on a platform and there's like spaceships coming at you. It's real, real satisfying to play. Mm. Um, Audition, if it's if that's what it's called, it's fucking not a good name or else I'm just an idiot. Um, I didn't get to play a ton of it because I was tired. <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe it's, it's the sort of maybe the beta version is called audition and then the real one is called concert yes that's <laughs> that is it <laughs> um but it's like you've got guns and the guns have knives on them and sometimes a ball comes and you knife it and then other times there's like orange and blue things flying towards you and then when it gets to a certain distance which is indicated by some kind of hud stuff you have to shoot it uh, and then some things you have to like shoot and hold, uh, because it's like a sustained note. And sometimes you have to shoot and like drag, hmm. uh, it through a path on the screen. And sometimes you have to like hold the gun sideways to shoot a thing, or sometimes it has to be straight up and down to shoot a thing with some, yeah. some you can shoot at any angle, but it's just like very, very satisfying to it play. Sounds it's like you're, it's not really, uh, it, it eases you in. Okay. It's like the, the. The sideways gun stuff only happens at the higher difficulties, um, and it's usually the sustained things make sense in conjunction with the music. The music is only like it's like playing a Japanese arcade game, rhythm game where the music is all just a bunch of EDM that's I've never heard of, which is a little dissatisfying. Like one of the nice things about Rock Band was that it was songs that you knew. Yeah. In fact. Arguably, the only reason that Rock Band was any good is because it was songs that you knew. Yeah. And it's like Beat Saber is fun, but it would also be fun to play Beat Saber to like, I don't know, Bananarama or something, right? Like, it would be nice if you could, and maybe you can, like, maybe it's like, oh, I made a Riff Tracks version of this, like, for this song that isn't licensed, but if you have an MP3 of it, you can play it. That would be cool. And this is just a bunch of, like, Beat Saber does allow custom songs, maybe. Huh. That's cool. I mean, I would just like do Beat Saber to an entire They Might Be Giants album. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. Just... So before they made Rock Band or, or even Guitar Hero, um, Harmonix made a, a series of music games that were, as far as I could tell, like they framed it as like this is music that they licensed. But as far as I could tell, it was just like, music by the in-house bands at harmonics mm, like fr- uh, frequency and amplitude yeah those, those are the those games those? that i'm thinking of did um, they make vib ribbon or was that that was somebody else okay. 
Because that was the one where you were like on a platform and the platform was the sound yeah. wave of whatever MP3 you had it playing or something. It was, I think it was based on, it was CD music, but I don't think it was as smart as you're saying. No, I see. That was made by the guy who made that early DS music game where you had like little bugs or drops of water that were like electroplankton. Electroplankton, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, that it may be that that's what's happening there again uh, in this new harmonics game now that they don't have a budget. Right. It's like every song is freeze pop because that was <laughs> they were local. <laughs> right. Um, it was there was nobody that I had heard of on the thing. And it's just I, I don't know. It's fine. It's like I don't I don't dislike just random techno. But like that's kind of the other thing about Beat Saber. It's like here's a list of things that you don't know what any of them are. And like nothing describing what might be different about them. Like, oh, they're just different techno songs. Like, give me fucking, I just want to shoot some shit to Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> and by some shit, I mean some heroin into my veins and just drift off listening to Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Sorry. What else did you play, Jim? Oh, I, I, I just a. To- finish off symphony i just wanted to say like is it was like 15 minutes long and very pure yeah and it never did ask you for money in a exploitative it's all completely free like free of ads free of money you pay for and give them some money you can't find them and give them some money i could probably i could like probably donate to girls make games and i probably should honestly Okay. Like, I'm not going to track down tween girls. I, like, I'm not suggesting that you track down tween girls. I mean, okay. only as a joke would okay. I suggest <laughs> okay. that you track down, you, you know, and they're probably busy, so you should run up and hand it to them real fast. <laughs> they, they, um, I'll, I'll, do, I'll match your donation. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's figure out how to do it. <laughs> oh, but if I, if I run up to, to them real fast, you have to do that too. A different one. Right. Oh, okay. All right. They could compare notes later to make sure we matched right. Uh-huh. We'll both be in the lineup. Yes. <laughs> <so they can. laughs> uh, I, I, I've been I've been playing Breath of the Wild still. I don't think I really have anything new to say about it. If you... Last we spoke, you had already gotten the mobility up. You'd done the temples. I'd done, I'd done two of the temples. I've, I've done... No, done a third of the temple, the the volcano one is left. Had you done them all before? Yeah, I'd, I'd finished the game last time oh, I played. I okay. And I'm like at like fifty shrines or something. Um, last time I played, I guess I'll talk about this. Uh, last time I played, I had turned off the shrine detector because it was irritating, and then like. Late, late in the in in my playtime, I realized if I had had it on, I bet I would f- have found more shrines. So I am leaving the shrine detector on this time, even though it's irritating, just because I feel like yeah, I want to get the shrines. I wanna, I wanna get all. Uh, I'm not gonna hundred percent the game because there are too many Korok seeds in there. But <laughs> oh, I might actually feel like like. Like I do, I do sometimes get the urge to like, yeah, why don't I get all 120 of something? Because that's the number of things there were to collect in Mario 64. Yeah. Well, I mean, mm. in Breath of the Wild, the shrines are the fun part. That's the, 
the good marshmallow that's, that's center true. Zelda puzzle part of the game, so it's worth collecting all of those. Well, except the ones that are just impossible fights. Well, yeah, except for I have uh, leveled up my weapons or whatever. You don't level up weapons in this game. I have good enough weapons and you can improve your equipment. Like your equipment actually makes a huge difference. Like what, what armor you're wearing for a fight makes a huge difference. Mm. So like maybe you just need to get some better equipment and level them up at those weird, enormous ladies. Yeah. There's uh, not a lot of like moblin fingernails or whatever yeah. to, or ancient screws. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't What have you been playing, Riff? Uh, nothing much new, but I have been watching a thing called uh, Cuso Grande. Have you guys heard of that? No. So uh, there's this guy, um, Bersentia, who I'm, I'm not sure if he's part of the GDQ crew or if he's just a guy that has been going to GDQ every time for however many years. But he... Uh, He's he's one of those dudes, and he's on Twitch, and he runs uh, these uh, tournaments called Cusa Grande, and and the the fourth one has recently started, and it's a tournament where uh, every uh, uh, I guess every every round at the moment they're doing like Swiss elimination rounds because I think there's like a hundred contestants or something, but it's it's four four player races. Uh, where they're racing a, a game that has been selected for being entertainingly bad. And those, those four guys have to race it blind, having never played the game before. And, and who they, Wait, they're, they're it, supposed to finish the game. No, that's, it's a race that lasts exactly an hour. And at the end of the hour, whoever has, has as at some point made it the furthest in the game uh wins and it's you know for is that something the judges just place. decide say say again is that something the judges decide or is there yeah. like some like if generally they're okay. able to tell but they do occasionally comment that occasionally they have had to go back to the vods and measure out individual pixels to see who won <laughs> but but yeah it's kind of interesting because a lot of these games like a lot of these are like old uh like pc engine platformers or or uh, or or crappy uh uh bootleg nes games and stuff that maybe they don't have continues so if a guy like loses all their lives, they end up just starting the game over. So it's, it's based on, so your score is not based on where you are at the end of the hour, but the furthest you have ever gotten in the game throughout the hour. Right. So yeah, it's kind of cool. And, and the, the guys that they have picking games seem pretty good at, at picking games that are, both frustrating for the players and also entertaining for people to watch the players be frustrated by. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'll when uh, when we get when we uh, get off the recording here, I'll I'll link uh, for the show notes. There's a, uh, a Google Doc that he uses to keep track of uh, the schedule of upcoming matches and uh, URLs to the Twitch vods of already recorded ones so yeah it's it's a it's a cool thing 
for watching for people that are into watching such a thing. Uh, other than that, I've cool. pretty much just been playing Pokemon Black too. Just still trying to beat that thing. Is it hard? Uh, it's real long. <laughs> it's kind of a slog. It's probably one of my least favorite Pokemon games. Is this a new one? No, it's this is a couple generations ago. It's the it's okay. the last. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the last one that was on the DS as opposed to the 3DS. Well, should we talk about this assignment? Toe Jam and Earl back in the groove? I think so. Sure. Um, I think you're you're going to have to do most of the talking about this because this game was not, yeah. not for me. Yeah. How, how much time did you put in? Half an hour, maybe. Okay. That's enough to get uh, the idea. It's I, I just I found everything about it to be very off-putting. You remember, you can't say anything bad about this game without being racist. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the, the humor and style did not land for me personally. And, yeah, so and mechanically, this, is, I just this game was interesting. Okay, yeah. This game was interesting in that, like, I talked about last week that I had no idea that Tojam and Earl was about black culture. And this game makes it real obvious right from the beginning that these are black people. Is it? Yeah. Is it, is it more? It, is it? Was that not as evident in the original one? Well, there was just no voiceover. There over. was no VO. Oh, right. Okay. And the, I mean, there was the music. The music is was was actually like, um, it was real good, like FM funk. And I think the music is actually probably the best part of the new game too. Honestly, um. But that could just have been appropriation, you know. And and uh, if you had guessed that, I would I would have given you like a ninety percent chance of being right. Um, this new game is very much like what. So I tweeted about this about how, um, like when, like the development of NetHack was was kind of like continuous part time development for like a decade was how that game was made. And they just made it by like adding new systems as they thought of cool ideas. And I feel like this update to Toe Jam and Earl feels like that, where like they took the original game and just added shit to it when they th as they thought of cool ideas. It really feels like if it had been in continuous development for a decade by part-time amateurs, like this is probably the sort of thing that would have resulted it felt like uh, it definitely felt like trying to play a Genesis game because it was like, okay, this game is designed. It's got the three for buttons. a controller with three yeah. buttons, none of which have any like mood to them. Like <laughs> right, right. Like it's not like oh, usually the left button is the one that confirms a thing yeah. or does a thing or yeah. invokes a thing or uses a thing. It just seems like very was, random. What does what according to context? Yeah, I, I put a couple hours into this and I was not better at guessing what button would do what by the end of it. Um, I don't know that there was a better answer. Well, I would say the better answer is to have used, like, designed it from around the 360 controller instead. Like, I think that would have been the right move. Um, the In the very beginning, it the difficulty selector, the options are <laughs> normal, easy, farty, 
and toddler. It's too bad we don't know any black people because they might know the answer to that. So they I might googled know. I googled easy farty right. to see if that was a phrase that anybody had ever used anywhere, and all it was, all of the Google results, and this was fucking weird, was a list of yoga positions to help you fart, <laughs> and. I, I was like, okay, I had no idea that b- based on all of this stuff, there is apparently a broad category of like a 25 to 35 year old white women who have this problem where they can't fart as much as they want to. And so they were never of, teenage boys. There's a lot of money practice. in targeted, targeted articles about helping them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Easy fart. Like. Okay, also, between between easy farty and toddler, which one of those is easier? <laughs> I mean, I guess toddler because of the order yeah, that it's in. Yeah. That's my guess, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like, I, this is a game that wants you to play on normal. Like, I tried starting a game on easy farty, and it was like, oh, you can't unlock anything in this mode. And so... God, what's I, toddler for? <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just like, maybe it's literally for like a toddler playing where you can't take damage or something. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I found it very difficult to tell like what anything was doing on the, it, it, it seemed like there weren't a lot of like really clear, like a lot of the time you would put a dollar in a parking meter yeah, and that would either cause the parking meter to move or another parking meter to spawn nearby. And I wasn't sure if that was just like, okay, putting money in a parking meter causes a random object to spawn nearby and maybe it's another parking meter. And it, I, I was just getting lucky. <laughs> I, I, I have no idea what that interaction was, but like, so I, I was just talking about how I, so this game is a huge, like, mess of systems, and I love a big mess. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I love, like, and I love it because that, what that parking meter is doing is a puzzle for me to solve. And so, like, I, I kind of feel like once I understand what all this stuff is doing, that the game is a lot less fun for me. You know, at that point, you're just playing the systems, and I kind of doubt the systems are worth playing in this game. It, this game is not so dissimilar from a the Catamites game, mm-hmm. right? Like sprites that are that are sort of like art forward in a way that doesn't care about presentation mm-hmm. at all, right? And with with the Catamites stuff, it's about sort of bad art, or like, <laughs> yeah, like at least glitchy, like deliberately, extremely kind of crude, yeah. glitchy art, but it's like, we're going to put this here, and it doesn't matter if it's the same size as the thing that's being represented in the game world or not, mm. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't matter if it renders in front of or behind the floor texture or whatever. There's a little less of that here, but like, I could never tell when something was going to hit me or not right. in this. Like, it felt like the player collider was kind of where the player sprite was, but... Yeah, I don't know how that system worked. It was more intuitive to me. Like, it's kind of like uh, reading positions in, like, a beat-em-up where everything is very, like... Yeah. ...specific billboard. Like, uh, it. so, in terms of, like, getting a mental traction on this game, it's maybe interesting... To have, like, in the context I played ToeJam & Earl, I had already played NetHack, and ToeJam & Earl 
takes so much directly from NetHack. Like the secret door system is basically the same. Mimics are basically the same. Uh, it's got vortices in that work in the same way. Um, and what's a vortex in NetHack? In NetHack, it, it's, it's a monster that engulfs you and moves around oh. and releases you wherever, like, wherever it moves to. In this game, that's more interesting because it could release you, like, above a gap and you would fall to the previous level. Yeah, and it seemed like it um, had, like, a weird mini game in it that I couldn't really understand. Oh, I didn't actually get engulfed in this game, so I don't know what that's, what's up with that. Huh. Uh, and so like, I feel like that legacy is kind of obscured by all the new stuff in this game because the, none of the new stuff is like as a direct, a ripoff of just a single game. It's, it's more like influences from all over, which is probably the better way to do the design, but like it's, uh, When I talk about, like, my reaction to learning this game and, like, my mental processes for it, um, it's it's a weird, like, kind of three-step process, which is, involves playing a bunch of NetHack and then playing a bunch of ToeJam & Earl 1 in the 90s and right. then playing this game. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there. Um, when I played the tutorial, uh, the tu- tutorial is basically a full a full playthrough of this game, but like kind of abbreviated and made easier. And I had thought that like, this was like the, the, the way they were going to modernize toe jam and was just to make it a lot easier, which is probably the right move. Um, and I just breezed through the tutorial very easily and got all the ship pieces. And then it gives you a message about how, like, if you want to see the ending, you have to beat the fixed world. And the fixed world is a concept from, the uh the original toe jam and earl where um instead of it's it's still a proc gen set of levels but based on a, a fixed random number seed so every time you play the fixed world it's the same proc gen worlds um and i guess i didn't know this when i played it but apparently like you, you're playing the tutorial unlocks the fixed world and then you have to get like to level 10 or something to unlock the randomized worlds and i didn't realize until i played this game that the intended uh way to interact with the first game was apparently probably to play the fixed world and finish that and then go play the proc gen worlds Hmm. because it the playing a, a fixed set of levels is such a different like you can actually like learn them and learn where all the good shit is and go to go there and avoid the bad shit uh which is not a luxury you have when you're learn when you're sight reading it basically uh but when you uh as soon as i started the fixed world and i realized like no they really like seriously toned the balance like they they tuned the balance significantly in favor of the player for the tutorial um and the uh the actual game is pff, it's probably still easier than the original toe jam and earl but it's probably harder than is fun for new players which is a problem but for you zach and i'm guessing for you riff as well the problem wasn't the difficulty it was just the the presentation of it was confusing i found the presentation of it off-putting yeah not so much confusing as i was just bored 
Okay. Um, I had a really hard time. It said good NPCs have sparkles on them, mm-hmm. but I couldn't really see the sparkles. No. Like there were a lot of things that I assumed were enemies until I like looked really, really closely at them and saw that they had that sparkle effect on them. And it's like, mm, it's, it's okay. too bad. You can't tell just from their behavior. Most of the time, like the enemies that you have to avoid, like they are, they go between like just wandering randomly and then suddenly they'll chase after you for 15 seconds. Yeah. And everything presentationally is just kind of undifferentiated garish noise. Yeah. You know, those are supposed to be like, I, I think that might be like, I, I think this might be like an allegory for black people going into white people's spaces. Huh? Like. Because all of the, well, some of them are just, some of them are literal demons. So like, no, there's no all here, but like, I think the, the majority of the, uh, of the enemies are white people. And then like a lot of the friendly NPCs are not like there's Gandhi in there. Yeah. I guess the wise man is a carrot. So. Yeah. Oh, he's a, if I remember right, he's like a carrot, like a, a wizened white dude with a long beard. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, I would like to read about what... Maybe just reading a game facts about the original Toe Jam & Earl will be entertaining i like i think it would be entertaining but I, i'm not sure it's going to help you that no, much I don't, like, I, and i don't need to understand like i'm just like i kind of would like to read a description of this written by somebody who knew what the fuck was going on mm-hmm. you know like what the fuck are those parking meters like it just <laughs> it's just like a it, it, it's like systemically bewildering Right. I mean, did you you messed with them, right? Yeah. Like, like and- so I would, I, I put money in the parking meter and it revealed another parking meter and I did that for a while. Sometimes it turned into a button that seemed stylized in a way I didn't recognize. And if you keep doing that for a while, you, I think I, you eventually get a present. Okay. And I can't figure out thematically what that's supposed to be, but also the guy who identifies your presence for you is a carrot Mm -hmm. so like it might just be like goofy bullshit yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i saw any mailboxes are there mailboxes in this one there are the there's the the blue boxes the traditional blue drop boxes are in here you can uh mail order stuff from them or if it's the bad kind it'll chase you around and hurt you there was that radar ping for like revealing what bushes had objects hidden in them. And it's like every third bush. And so it seemed like just barely faster to use the radar to identify which bushes to go get a I, thing out. You, of. See, now you're, now you're teaching me stuff. I didn't know about the radar ping. Uh, it tutorializes it. It's one of the buttons when you're out in the main map. Wow. I guess I just didn't push that button. And it sends out these pings and a lot of the presence, like uh, interact with your radar system. Um, except for the cursed fart blast, man, a lot of fart jokes. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. You can, you can not know things. Yeah. No, I don't. You're not allowed. You're allowed to li- not like something. Yep. 
Um, you know what I do like though is next week's assignment: hyperspace yeah. out. No, you already like it. Hyperspace cowboy. Um, Terry Kavanaugh kept tweeting about it and kept referring to it as hyperspace outlaw just over and over and over again. <laughs> and at first I thought it was a joke, but then I was like, ah, no, God damn it. And then eventually he just posted another tweet that was just asterisk hypnospace, <laughs> which is like, just apply this to everything I wrote over the last couple everything of I've written in my life. <laughs> yep. Um, Anyway, a uh, friend of the show, Jay Tholen, uh, finally released uh, Hypnospace Outlaw, and yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's about really good. it's about enforcing crimes on GeoCities, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, and we were all going to be playing it anyway, and we want to support those bros. Making video games. It's only negative three days until our GDC party, and my voice is already shot. Oh. If you don't talk at all for the next three days, maybe it'll be back. Oh, yeah. That's a good plan. In fact, I'm going to start not talking by ending this podcast right now. Gentlemen, okay. I've had a fantastic time recording episode number 364 of Video Games Hot Dog with you here in the Orange Room in Portland. And I hope we do it again real soon. Probably won't be real soon. Do you think we'll do this during GDC? Maybe if we have a great guest. Maybe we should have 10 great guests. Oh, God. All crowded into this yeah, tiny orange room. Maybe we room. should do a series. We should just do a podcast series. 10 great guests. If you want to just forego all of GDC and just bring people into this room and talk to them, I'll hang out at my house. And be on that? Or <laughs> I haven't. I hadn't decided by the end not. of that sentence <laughs> okay. whether I would join you or not. Okay. Well, we'll see. I, I do think that, like, I, I have long threatened, and maybe I'll actually do it this year, too, instead of, like, I don't have a pass this year, uh, but I have long threatened to, instead of, like, going into the convention center and actually meeting people there, just, like, setting up shop in a coffee shop and telling people to come to me. And I feel like I have enough clout in the indie game scene that I, that would work. Do you have a high enough clout score on Twitter? <laughs> I don't think clout exists anymore. Fuck. Well, so you can pretend to have whatever score you want. Yeah. yeah. Infinite. Uh -huh. 99. <laughs> I don't think that one's very good, Zach. Oh, well, I don't know how. I don't either. <laughs> I never used it. I mean, well, you say it's 99 out of 98. No, oh, okay. Then that's pretty good, yeah. Zach. Cloud, cloud only went up as high as the good versions of Windows. <laughs> anyway, like uh, this is basically the same thing, except we'd be recording it. Yeah. Okay, here's what you could do. You could just wear a real, real big hoodie mm -hmm. and have people meet you inside your hoodie, <laughs> right? Because your hoodie is big enough for both of you. And then you also just have a recorder in there and uh -huh. you it's just interviews from under the hoodie with Jim Stormdancer. I... Okay, I'm writing this down as the actual plan I'm going to be doing. Um, I'm definitely going to also only talk about time in terms of beats. <laughs> okay, here's a here's a question that I just thought of. Mm -hmm. If you took two hoodies uh -huh. and you unzipped both of them, yeah, could you zip the the male zipper of one onto the female zipper of the other I, one. And I vice saw versa. that movie. It was pretty gross. And then you just have, you, you just are each in a hoodie, but yeah. then you have a bunch of space between you. And I, yeah, I think that's probably possible. Yeah. That'd be real weird. So 
And then you'd have to just figure out a way to like loop the drawstrings through. Just make nooses out of them and hang yourself at that you'd, point. No, you'd, 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 the you'd have to spend the whole time trying the not to kiss each other. <laughs> I mean, that's always true when I'm when I'm with some dreamy video game celebrity. <laughs> I have to spend the whole time trying not to kiss them anyway. That's that's really the entire point of the evolution of the forebrain is to just not <laughs> spend every waking second t- trying not to kiss. That's right. Why do you think God gave at. us lips? <laughs> Yeah, my son still hasn't learned that. Yeah, no, he's just like, I oh, kiss these paint chips. <laughs> he's still working on the forebrain. <laughs> kiss these mothballs. Uh-huh. Um, do you have any mothballs at your house? Um, geez, I don't know what a mothball looks like. <laughs> do you have any ligma balls at your house? Ligma? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, all right, and I hope we do it again real soon. And listeners, I hope you'll join us. Um, yes. <laughs> Hopefully we do. Yes. See you later. Good Good night. night.